dollars or something a month. Feels like a month. And we are going to go through. Uh, we're still in chapter one, Mark. I think we're, when do we start this thing? September first. Uh, so we'll finish off the the rest of Mark one. So if you turn your Bibles to Mark chapter one, verse forty to forty-five, we'll just go through six verses this morning. And the title of the message is Trading Spots. And I want to show you something at the very end of this that I think you'll be really interesting, uh, interested in. But it talks about the, the healing of the leper. As you know, the Gospels don't cover everything in Jesus' life, right? In fact, it says in John 21, 25, that there are also many other things which Jesus did. Which, if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. And this is just three and a half years of someone's life. And not only that, but he says here, John also writes uh, in chapter 20, verse 30, he says this. He says, many other signs Jesus also performed, which are not written in this book. Luke 6, 19 says, all the people were trying to touch him. For the power was coming out of him and healing them all. I could make an argument this morning that there is no doubt in my mind that everyone in all of Palestine that wanted to be healed was healed. No doubt. It was absolutely amazing. Some of us wish we could have been there. Between 80, 27, and 30. Maybe you're dealing with something or know somebody that's dealing with something physical or, or maybe even tormented by the enemy in some form or fashion. You would do anything if you knew Jesus was in a city. You'd do anything to be there. And it's pretty fascinating that it says that in Luke 6, 19, that all the people were trying to touch him and power was coming out of him and he healed them all. You can underline that in the Bible, in your Bible. He healed them all. And of course you know that the purpose of the miracles were primarily to validate Jesus' ministry. And why that's so important is because long after maybe someone gets healed physically, they still have death to face. That we might get healed in this earth as a believer or a non-believer. But the reality is we will all die. And Jesus came, yes, having authority over sickness and demons and Satan and sin of all kinds. And the point is, is that if he demonstrated this kind of divine power, then you can trust his divine truth. And that's the point. That every reader in Rome would have understood this as they read this gospel. That if this Jesus really did heal, and he had this kind of miraculous power, no doubt it would have been an amazing blessing for you to be healed of all sorts of diseases. And we're still to believe for those things. We're still to pray for each other for those things. 
But understand that the reason why he came, it says this in Mark 138, let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I might preach there also, for that is why I came. What did he come for? He came to preach the gospel. He, he came to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Mark 1.15 says the time is fulfilled. It's here. The king is here. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. There was nothing like it on the earth. To watch Jesus. I couldn't even imagine. When you get into the gospels and you just try to picture yourself. I can't even imagine what it was like just to watch this man and God same time, to watch him waltz around city to city to see him literally not be stopped by anything. To not be hindered by anything. To have absolute 100% power over everything. Even nature. Amazing. Matthew 4 23 to 24, it gives you even more of a glimpse. Jesus was going throughout Galilee, teaching in all the synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The good news of him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all those who were ill, and those who were suffering with various diseases and pains and demoniacs and epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. And Matthew 8, 16 to 17 says this, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out spirits with a word. You know, it's funny today where they have all these, I've been to them before, some of these meetings where they, you know, they supposedly cast out demons. And I, I mean, I don't doubt that sometimes one might be casted out. I mean, but they do all these crazy things to try to get the demon out. You know, they have the cross and they have holy water and all sorts of weird stuff. Jesus with his word. In fact, in other parts of the gospel, he didn't even need to be there. He didn't even need to seal the, see the one who was uh, had disease or was dying or dead. Just the word. That kind of power was unheard of. There never was any power like it. Absolutely amazing. He says it healed all those who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through, the, through Isaiah the prophet. Listen, he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Amen? So good. You know what? It's interesting, and yet the people still denied Jesus. In fact, they went so far as to say that he had a demon. He said that somehow he could cast out demons with the power of demons. And Jesus said something interesting, you know, a house can't stand if it's divided. Just the sheer folly of the people during that time. And they're still here today. Luke 17, 12 to 19 records the other miracle of Jesus cleansing the leper. And if you remember, there were 10 lepers and only one came back. Remember that story? One came back to say thank you. And we're not going to cover that story in any detail today, but I just wanted to at least make you aware there's another specific example. But the point is, is that there were lepers everywhere. 
And this was extremely common. There were lepers all over, and Jesus healed many of them. In fact, Matthew 26 and Mark 14 says that Simon the leper even had that name still. Most likely he was healed because he couldn't be in the presence of those people if he really had it still. And then in Mark 1, which we come to, verse 40, we'll read that in a second. This is the one we'll discuss today. But why did three out of four gospel writers choose to record this message? Why is it so important? Why, why did they choose to, to tell this story? And versus what it says in John 21, there are so many to choose from. Can you imagine being a gospel writer, just sitting there being like, which one should I put in? What about this one? No, you know, the Holy Spirit's just, no, 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 yes, no, no, yes, no, yes. For every no, a thousand no's, might be one yes, finally. You know, as they're writing under the power of the Holy Spirit. Because one reason, this one miracle literally exploded Jesus' ministry. The second one, you're going to have to wait to the end. You have to wait to the end. There's always a drama in the sermon. Sometimes I give it away and then I'm, I'm like, uh, shoot, I just gave it away. And then now I have to spend the whole sermon. Yeah. But anyways, you'll have to wait to the end. But here, let's pick up in verse 40. And the leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That is so important. The thing is, nothing else is mentioned about this guy. Nothing. Other than the fact that he's a leper. That's all we know. And Luke 5, verse 12, says that he was literally covered in leprosy. Now, what is that? We're going to take some time just to have a little biology lesson. Okay? We're going <laughs> to... There's good parts where you are going to get very squeamish. And, and uh, I would say this. Just close your eyes. I mean, I mean close your ears. <laughs> now your eyes are back. Right? Mm-hmm. Trust me. Although I could have. We're visual people. <laughs> uh, but this is going to get really gross really fast. But uh, the Hebrew word for leprosy just means skin disorders. And so there's all sorts of skin disorders back in the Old Testament. And in the New uh, in the New Testament, lepros uh, in Greek just means scales. It's a scaly appearance on the leper skin. It's very common. Uh, leprosy in general was very common. Uh, now, there were some that were, they needed to be then isolated for because, and I'll show you here in a second. But they, they think that uh, today's version of leprosy is called Hansen's disease. And virtually what it is, is it's, it, it defigures your appearance it debilitates your nervous system, uh, which then eventually leads to death. It's a horrific, uh, very feared uh, disease in the ancient world. In fact, it was founded, uh, originated in Egypt. It was found in an Egyptian mummy. Uh, and uh, they, it was kind of like these spongy, tumor-like swellings that appeared on the face and the body. Uh, and it infected the internal organs. Bones began to deteriorate. It weakened the immune system and worst of all, there was zero cure for it. Zero cure. God gave very strict, specific instructions regarding leprosy. If you remember in Leviticus 13, probably in your quiet times, you just read that. And, and uh, anyone, 
anyone with suspected skin disease needed to be inspected by the priest. And so what happened was if the problem was deeper and underneath the skin, they needed to quarantine for seven days. Sound familiar? If the problem persisted, then they needed to quarantine for 14 days and then declared clean if it didn't spread. So they, of course, had quarantine back then and they were uh, basically the health officials were the priests. Uh, that was kind of the CDC, if you will, of Israel. <laughs> Leviticus 13, uh, 12 to 17, describes a less serious leprosy. It turned the skin white uh, and it was clean, if not contagious. And so you thought that was like the bad one. That was actually not the bad one. Uh, it's the one that you probably wanted to have and you didn't want the contagious one because then it would get worse for you uh, in many different ways. Uh, and so if it wasn't the bad one, it was usually psoriasis or eczema or leukoderma. Uh, if you're science majors or doctors, you understand some of those terms. Um, but Leviticus 13, 45 to 46, listen to this. says this, that as for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn and the hair of his head shall be uncovered. And he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection and he is unclean. He shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, of course, this was for protection, but unfortunately, this person would begin to live almost a living hell. And it gets worse than this because it says here in the, uh, not only are they isolated from the world, uh, but also, uh, when they would see people, they'd have to, and then when you look this up, I was looking this stuff up, that you have to, even then, uh, the CDC was there, and they said that you needed to keep six feet apart on non-windy days, and on windy days, you needed to stay 150 feet apart. So, maybe we're learning something. <laughs> Didn't know about the 150 windy days in Florida, you yeah. Especially a hurricane, you probably need to be, you know, even further apart. But Numbers 5, 2 says this, Command the sons of Israel that they send away from the camp every leper and everyone having a discharge and everyone who is unclean because of a dead person. They took this very seriously, and God did as well. These are his laws to protect the people, the rest of the community. Leprosy eventually took over your entire body. Your skin would lose color, become scaly, turn into sores, very painful sores. Your eyebrows and your eyelashes fall out. No problem because, you know, they probably have none of those little things where you just, you know, little pencil things, you know. Um, they probably have those. Uh, and then skin, skin bunches up around the eyes. The smell was atrocious. Uh, it was repulsive both to the eyes and the ears. If that, and the eyes and the nose. <laughs> I'm still recovering. <laughs> I suppose they're screams. <laughs> but if that wasn't bad, leprosy began with pain and then ends in numbness. Now, you guys know, no one wants to deal with pain, right? We're always trying to get rid of our pain. I mean, 
always, even emotional pain, we're always trying to get rid of our, no one wants that. But it would begin, it, because of the God's warning system of pain, pain is good. It can be, in fact, it can save your, something small, painful, can save your life from something, uh, even death, in this case. It would destroy their own tissue. And listen to this, this is a doctor saying, uh, speaking here. He says, Hansen's disease Hansen's disease's numbing quality is precisely the reason such a fabled destruction and decay of tissue occurs. For thousands of years, people thought HD caused the ulcers on the hands and feet and the face, which eventually led to rotting flesh and loss of limbs. But now, with modern research, it has been established that 99% of the cases, HD only numbs the extremities. The destruction follows solely because the warning system of pain is now gone. Now listen to this. This is where you might want to close your ears. How does the decay happen? In villages of Africa and Asia, a person with HD has been known to reach directly into the charcoal fire to retrieve a dropped potato. Now nothing in his body told him not to do that because he can't feel. Patients of Bram's Hospital in India would work all day uh, gripping a shovel with a protruding nail in it or extinguish a burning wick with their bare hands, or walk on splintered glass. The daily routine of life ground away at HD's patients, hands and feet, but no warning system alerted him. If an ankle turned, tearing the tendon and muscle, he would adjust and walk crooked. If the rat chewed off his finger at night, he would not discover it until the next morning. Not only are you isolated, deteriorating and socially despised, but they could not go to temple and worship. They could not go to the temple and worship God. Second Kings 7, 3 says this, Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to no other, Why do we sit here until we die? This would have been shocking to see that this leper came and fell at the feet of Jesus. I mean, as far as we can understand, he violated all standards of isolation. He should have never done that. And Jesus, like any Jew, should have rebuked him. He ran away, for that matter. The opposite direction. But he fell at his knees, and it's interesting, Luke 5.12 tells us that, that he fell prostrate on his face. It's another detail. He was desperate. And I love this. This is the famous phrase that you've heard before. If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. But I thought something else very interesting here. The leper saw himself as probably cursed. Why do I say that? Because if you look at 2 Chronicles 26... 17 to 21, I won't read the whole thing. But Azariah the priest was opposing Uzziah the king for one reason, because the king wanted to burn incense in the temple. Now, kings could not do that. Priests and kings had separate duties and responsibilities, and they did not mix. So what happened was, uh, I'll, I'll read this quote. It says, get out, Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. And while he was enraged with... With the priest, the leprosy broke out on his forehead. Eventually, he had to go in isolation because the Lord, it says, had smitten him, punished him, or judged him, and then he lived a 
a separate house until he died. You have to understand something. In that time period, and even today, if you had something horrendous like this disease, and there are scriptures to obviously back it up, they would think that somehow you have been cursed by God. Now we know from scripture the opposite is true as well. That not all diseases and not all sicknesses are because somebody has sinned and God is judging you. It's because we live in a fallen world. And our bodies will ultimately all deteriorate. Unless, of course, we're like Elijah and get... Or Enoch. <laughs> we all wish. <laughs> but most of us will die. All of us will die. <laughs> unless, unless, there's one little asterisk, okay, Jesus came back. <laughs> that would be awesome. But you know what he did? He acknowledged that God had the power, but God also had the power to refuse healing him. And I think, isn't that true? Isn't that how we're to live our lives when you think about it? You know what real faith is? Real faith is getting on your knees is prostrating yourself before the Lord and saying, Lord, your will be done. It's, it is not okay to tell somebody, hey, you don't have enough faith because that's why you're not healed. That's a distortion. That's wrong. You don't want to tell people that. In fact, you know, even further, you don't even want, when somebody else has a sickness, one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to say, oh, it's probably because they, you know, probably missed a week of quiet times. They probably didn't sign up for Miami. They probably, didn't, you know, yeah, like all of us go to Miami healthy. And then there's just like this select few of quarantine people because they got smitten by the Lord. They're back at home. No. We're not God. We never will be. This man had faith. He's saying, look, if you're willing, you can make me clean. That's faith. That is faith. And honestly, I love what Genesis 18 says here, verse 27 I'm going to read you a little Old Testament passage here because it gives you a feel of what this man, his attitude and what our attitude needs to be when we are desperate before God. And even when we're in his presence praying. It says this, Abraham replied, now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am but dust and ashes. This is like we're just getting acquainted with Jehovah. This is like early, this is the beginning of the Bible. Then he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry and I, and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. This is his conversation about him judging Sodom. And he said, I will not do it or destroy Sodom if I find 30 there. And he said, now behold, I ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on the account of 20. And he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry. And I shall speak only this once more. Suppose 10 are found there. 
And he said, I will not destroy it on the account of ten. Ever changed everybody's prayer life. I love this with Daniel 3, 17, 18 says, If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. That's faith. It wasn't in the outcome. It was in the God who created us. Amen? That should change our prayer lives and actually give us hope, comfort in that. I love what J.C. Ryle says. Health is a good thing. Listen. But if sickness is far better, if it leads us to God. You know what faith is? Faith is he can do it. But faith is also if he doesn't do it. That is what faith is. That is what we believe as New Testament Christians. I was talking to someone this week and they said, you know, the only guarantee that you have in this life is suffering. That is the only guarantee that you will have in this life. And the crazy thing about suffering is you don't get to pick what kind of suffering it is. That's sort of the scary thing. Isn't it? But the hopeful thing is God does work all things together. For, our, for, for his purpose in our good. Now listen, is that the first thing you want to rattle off when someone's suffering? Yes. Some can take it. You know, I always say, some have the faith that they already know that. But some are not there. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't say that. But it does mean that you need to show some compassion which we see here in verse 41. It says, moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. And we all want to hear that. All of us want to hear those words. Those just, I, I am willing for every prayer request, isn't that true? I am willing to heal you spiritually, physically, emotionally. Be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. And he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to them, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I'll pause there. You know, any, any Jewish man, like I said, would have... And anybody watching, I mean, everyone watching, no doubt, would have... First of all, inch back six feet. If they already have even more. Maybe it was a windy day and they're all 150 feet away. Then they're like, Jesus, you know, you might want to help you protect yourself. <laughs> um, 
They were all showing disgust. They couldn't handle that. And the only one that had compassion was the Lord. You know, Francis Schaeffer, you might know him, wonderful writer. He says something interesting. Biblical orthodoxy without compassion is surely the ugliest thing in the world. And look, what I want in this church and what the Lord wants in this church and our elders want is a church of compassion when people are suffering. Yes, that comes with chicken soup and I, you know, we get plenty of that. <laughs> but there's more. Praying with them, praying with the people, anointing them, with oil, which doesn't do anything for their... It's not like if something miraculous is in the oil. It's just you're, you're doing what the Bible says in James 5, that we're to confess our sin. There are certain sins, yes, that lead to sickness. And James is saying, look, I have a passage for that. God has a passage for that. But he also has passages for when it's not sin. That John 9 says, it wasn't because of his parents' sin, it wasn't because of this man's sin, but because of the glory of God, I will heal him. And then there's others. That just for whatever reason, you're not going to get healed on this side of the earth. But you will in heaven. And that is the ultimate promise. And he stretched out his hand, and he touched the leper, this man was never touched. He was never touched. Can you imagine being touched for the first time? And that touch actually was a very powerful touch. That changed his whole life. And in fact, the way the Old Testament at least explains this is that Jesus should have had leprosy after touching him. We all know that wasn't the case. Jesus said, I am willing, be cleansed. And instantly, not gradually, but instantly, he was healed. There was no period of recovery. He was restored instantly to society, which is probably one of the biggest blessings. The fact that he actually got to be with people. But interestingly, he gave two instructions. This is very important. And, and this may not make sense to you, and I'll give you a little content, context for it, but he needed to be checked by the priest. And I think it's interesting that Jesus said, go 100 miles, it doesn't say that, but you look it up, 100 miles to Jerusalem. Now understand, when your body is, at, you're fried, you're done, you can't move when you have leprosy. Everything deteriorates. He would have been dead even if he moved, like went two or three feet away. I mean, he just, he couldn't go far. No one was there to carry him either. Because that would risk, put them at risk. You know that this was a pure miracle. Because of the fact that Jesus told him you could walk a hundred miles now. Now he goes to the priest and he needed to be checked by the priest to prove that he was healed. And what they needed to do, which is very interesting, in Leviticus 14, I'm going to read this uh, portion of what they needed to do. It's, uh, it's all symbolic, but it kind of sounds a little hocus pocus. 
but needed to take two birds, killing one of them in a vessel over running water. The other bird, along with cedar wood, a scarlet string, and hyssop, was then dipped in blood of the bird that had been slain. The former leper was sprinkled seven times and pronounced clean by the priest, and the live bird was set free in an open field. The person was subsequently required to wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and his eyebrows, and bathe himself in water. After remaining outside of his tent for seven days, he would bring the appropriate offerings to the priest on the eighth day, and then upon offering the needed sacrifices, he would be anointed with oil by the priest, signifying that he was clean. What a process. Now, why would you think Jesus needed him to go 100 miles to go to the priest? I'll tell you a few reasons. One, which is very important to our salvation, Jesus never disregarded anything in the Old Testament. He perfectly upheld the law. Now, do we need to do that silly thing now after we get COVID and all that? Go to the priest, go to the pastor, and go through all, I'm going to make you go through all this, and then I will pronounce you clean. <laughs> not going to do that. Okay. But I think it's interesting that even though we don't need to do that because he, he had to come, he says he had to fulfill all the laws of Moses on our behalf. But we don't need to do those. We need to uphold the moral law, but not the ceremony. And I think that's really interesting. But then the other thing was Jesus, even though the priests and the religious leaders were so anti-Jesus, were so hard-hearted, Jesus said, look, I want them to know that I'm real. I want them to understand that I can do this miraculous thing. And that the priests in Jerusalem would have grace in the temple, which is incredible. You even see just the beauty of Jesus through this whole passage. Just how awesome he is, how wonderful he is, how he upholds all the law, how he is compassion for the leper, and how he does all these incredible things, and how he wants even the Jewish priest to even understand that he is the Son of God, even in their hard hardness. Now, verse 45 is interesting because do you think he did it? You think he obeyed two simple things? No. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news all around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter the city. But he stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. You know, the first thing of salvation, the sign of salvation, is your obedience. Now, can we really tell if this person was saved or not? Probably not. We don't have any other record. But he didn't start his Christian life off on the right foot. <laughs> did he? No. He did not. And I love what Spurgeon says. Faith healing is grand. But faith enduring is grander. And that's what God's calling all of us to. His obedience is true. True. We can all, right? We, we have those times even in our Christian life where we're healed of something, God comes through, we pass the test, or we do whatever. I mean, he just does whatever it is in our life. He fixes something, He comes through financially, and then we go the opposite direction. Thank you, Lord. We all do that. 
killing. Constantly need his grace. One Bible commentary says this, Jesus healed many people who didn't believe. He healed many without faith. But I'll tell you what, he never saved anyone without faith. And he never will. You need faith for salvation. You don't need it for healing. And I think that's interesting when you think about that. When you really think about that. Is it, are you to go to Jesus in prayer by faith that he can heal? Of course. That's not what I'm, I'm not saying that. You need to do that. But God can just make you well because of his common grace. For everyone of you. But you must come to him by faith in order to receive salvation. That is true. No doubt the leper was ecstatic about his new life and healing. I mean, that's why, I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, listen, give the guy a break for a second. Because if you got healed of this crazy, crazy debilitating disease that would lead to death very shortly, you would waltz all over. I mean, you were living in isolation for your life. I mean, you're, you're away from people. Very, I mean, on a windy day, you're just like, oh, there's a guy. You're not going to have a conversation with him. You're not going to be intimate. You're not going to do Bible study with them. You're not going to eat with them. You have no fellowship with anybody. And you're always wondering, God, am I cursed? It's a miserable life until Jesus walked on the earth. And then gave him life. But you know what's interesting? Oftentimes our disobedience does hinder the ministry of Jesus. Doesn't it? Mm -hmm. You have to understand something. He was in isolation. And then became public. That was his life, the leper's life. Isolation to the public life. He's free of leprosy. Jesus went in the public. He was free to do whatever he wanted. Because of healing this man of leprosy. The man of leprosy pushed Jesus into isolation. He pushed him into isolation. And you know what this is? This is an incredible metaphor of what Jesus does in our life. He trades places with us. He traded places with the leper that afternoon. Listen to this quote. Mark began this story with Jesus on the inside and the leper on the outside. At the end of the story, Jesus is outside in lonely places. Jesus, the leper, Jesus and the leper had traded places. Early in his ministry, Jesus is already on the outsider in, human, in, in the human society. But Mark casts him in that role as the servant of the Lord who bears the iniquities of others, Isaiah 53. And his bearing of them causes him to be numbered with the transgressions and the transgressors. He identified with our sin. He became sin. Perfect Lamb of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 is so clear. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's the great substitute. 
substitutionary atonement. He went to the cross. He became sin, but understand, he, he went to the cross as a perfect, unblemished lamb, says in Peter. He never sinned. He became our sin, but he never sinned. Because if he became our sin, even one of your sins, one person, one sin, then his sacrifice is nullified. And what Jesus did here is he switched places. He gave this man a life while Jesus went into isolation. It wasn't, as we know, these stories tend to maybe not go entirely in order and kind of give equal amount of time for each of the three years of his ministry. But he was headed to the cross. In order for Jesus to accomplish this, in order to give you a life, in order to give you uh, an insider life, he had to leave heaven and to go into isolation. And on the cross, Matthew 27, 46 says that he was forsaken on the cross. He said, why have you forsaken me? He cries out to God. And he was treated as an outcast while we were accepted into the presence of God. That's unbelievable, church. That never ceases to amaze me. The grace of God. But this leper model being prostrate before Jesus being totally, utterly desperate. Have you ever just gone for a prayer walk and just, or maybe in your quiet times or gotten down beneath, you know, on the side of your bed, on your knees, or perhaps even prostrate on the ground and just had a moment in your life where you were totally desperate. I'll tell you the truth that I think we're supposed to be there all the time. We don't deserve anything. And maybe some of us here are just like, I got nothing to worry about. I'm good. And that's fine. You never know what tomorrow will be. You're not supposed to be anxious today. Because you don't know what tomorrow will be. The good and the bad. And perhaps the other. And that is life. Not to live some sort of weird, superstitious way, knocking on wood or doing some weird thing like that. But that is life. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. But if you're suffering today, have hope. Because you could ask Him, Lord, if you're willing, you can cleanse me, you can forgive me. You can make me right. You can heal me. You can restore me. You can restore the situation, this marriage, whatever it is, he can do it. And we all long to hear these words. Sometimes they don't come right away, do they? I am willing. Be cleansed. Amen. He's so gracious. Take him up on it. But you need to start with you being honest. As you go out, I mean, there's been multiple times that I would go out for a walk and just, Lord, you are willing. 
willing. If you're, if you are able, you are able, you are able. You know, you have all the power in the world. I mean, just by your word, you, just, you don't even have to. You don't have to think it. <laughs> you could do it. It is so possible. Whether it's a financial issue, whether it's a physical ailment, or you're believing for somebody else, or whatever it might be, he can do it. He can do it. He can do the miraculous. And God wants you to have that kind of faith in him as we look at him. But to be desperate enough to understand also that he may not do it right away. But to have that kind of faith that believes that yes, he can do it, but he may not do it yet. He may not do it now. But that does not mean you don't have faith. That doesn't mean you leave the presence of God, if you will, that prayer closet, that time with him. It doesn't mean you leave that place hanging your head and you're like, I don't have any faith. In fact, you know, there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't ask for faith. You can ask for it. And I would encourage you to do it. Encourage you to ask for faith. Why don't we stand to our feet and pray? And I, I think there's probably loads of prayer requests in the room. Now, I, I really do believe that uh, it's time to take out those prayer journals again at the end of, beginning of the year. And uh, I, I believe that it's time to acknowledge that maybe your prayer life is weak. Maybe you need a boost of faith and you need to ask God, would you, would you stir my faith again? in the miraculous and praying. And yes, we need to pray for physical things and pray for physical healing and all those things, but there are more prayers. Look at the Apostle Paul. He wasn't, I mean, if you search the scriptures, he wasn't just praying for the, the momentary things, the things that just, oh God, would you just give me this? Would you just give me everything? But, but big apostolic prayers. Like praying, God, would you save Japan? Would you save Sweden? Would you, would you move in the nations? You know, even you know, a, a bold, big prayer is not, oh, God, would you get rid of COVID so that we could go overseas, although that's not bad. I pray those But God, whether I go or not, would you save the people in Japan? Because you can do it without me being there and you being in the flesh because you're everywhere. You're omnipresent all over. Pray the big prayers. God, would you save the people in Miami? Would there be miraculous salvations that happen in Miami? Would we not go home empty? Those are the big, bold, apostolic prayers God wants us to pray. And He wants you to pray for people's healing and yourself and the needs. He is near to the brokenhearted. Amen? He is near to the brokenhearted. He loves to answer prayer. He says, if you pray specifically, I will do it. Look at, Matt, look at Luke 11. If you're stuck, he even gives you your framework. Right? 
He gives you an outline. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive those who trespass. Forgive our sins and for those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And yours be the glory. The power is all yours. If you're stuck, there's no excuse. He gives us an outline. And then he says, even within that outline, he gives us provision. He says, I'll take care of all your needs. Matthew 6. All your needs will be taken care of. Your daily needs. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. As it relates to food and clothing. Of course, there's other worries. But I think it includes in that realm that you don't have to worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow has its own set of affairs. Today. Today's the day of salvation, isn't it? Today's the day you get right with God. Today's the day you pray bold prayers. Today's the day you just pray and talk to God. Some of us probably miss God here, if you know what I mean. You know what I mean by that? You just feel like I have a lot of knowledge, but I miss God. I want to connect with God. I want to sense his presence, that he's with me, he's real. He's, this is available today, now. It doesn't have to wait till tomorrow. You may not have it. Today, you can connect with him. And he is a God that is near. Romans says he's in your mouth, he's near, he's right there, he's so close. But yet you feel him so far. And so I want to pray for us this morning that you would begin to connect with God again. Break out the prayer journal. Break out the outline of Luke 11. Matthew 7, continue to knock. Continue to ask. Right? Continue to seek. And it will be done for you. Pray according to His will. And it will be done so let's have faith. Let's trust God. Let's believe for the miraculous. Amen? And still have faith, even if he doesn't do it right away. Amen. Father, thank you for being